Episode 70, Rivka Liebowitz. You're listening to the Journey to Organization podcast with Rebecca Saltzman. Advice to help you clear your clutter and your mind. Hello and welcome to Journey to Organization. I'm Rebecca Saltzman from Balagan Beyond Personal Organization. And I get questions about money all the time. And it's not my expertise because money, it burns a hole in my pocket. So I asked for help. I invited my friend Rivka Leibowitz to come on and answer some questions about how to organize your money. Rivka is a financial consultant, speaker, and author specializing in personal and small business finance. After a decade in Israeli investment and banking industries, she went on to her she went out on her own to pursue her dream, helping business owners, individuals, and couples to be smarter about and with their money. She is the founder of the extremely popular Facebook group, Living Financially Smarter in Israel. She speaks in North America on behalf of Nefesh Benefesh as their Aliyah Mega event speaker on personal finance. Welcome, Rivka Leibowitz. Hey, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Really excited to be here with you. I'm so glad that you're here. Now, I know you work in finance. We used, we used to, we just said you used to work in finance. Um, but was there a specific event or issue that made you see the light and a eureka moment and switch into personal finance where you're actually helping individuals and in small business? So it's interesting because I think that moment actually became before I did anything else. Um, when we were finishing high school and my friends were all discussing, you know, what are we going to do in life? What do we want to do? I said, you know, I really want to help people with their money. Um, but since that's not a profession, I'm going to go be an accountant or a portfolio manager or something like that, which is what I went to do. But essentially, I had always wanted to help individuals with their money. And when I was um, managing portfolios and when I was at the bank um, helping people with their finances, I realized that like the individual, helping the individual plan their money better, et cetera, because I saw how much stress and what was involved, um, I was just like, it was calling me, like, this is what you need to do. And therefore, I left and went into this field. That's Amazing. So you've got a calling. That's awesome. But it, it's nice to know that you sort of always had this connection with helping individuals and like really focusing on like the individual and their financial issues. So it's good. It makes me feel like, yay, like you're really committed to me. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting. Um, when I was like, I don't know, 19 years old or something, a friend called me and said, look, I have this friend who's married. I, I was 19. And she's like, look, I have this other friend who's married. They're not managing with their money. You need to go help them. And I was like, me? She's like, yeah, yeah, I could just see you. You're going to be good at this. This is what you want to do. Um, and that's essentially when I first started. That's awesome. That's really awesome. Um, and you can tell us more about like what you, how you work with uh, new young couples because you are starting a course on that and we'll definitely um, get into that and talk to that a little bit more. Um, but for now, I really want to know what, what do you do with a couple when they come to you? Like people know that I come to your house and I help you clear out all your clutter, but what does a financial advisor do? How do you meet with people and how exactly do you help them? So first of all, there are many different types of financial advisors and under the umbrella of financial advisor, it could be anything from, you know, managing your money to, to getting you out of debt or whatever. So what I actually do is I either go to people or they come to me and I help them make order with their money. 
And I help them both on a very practical level and on an emotional level sometimes. There's a lot of psychology that goes into money. Many of the people I'm helping have inherited money or are earning well, not always, but they're earning well, and it's just a, a financial mess, and they're not good with dealing with money. So I come along and you know, organize their finances with them, understand from them what they value, what's important to them, because money is a tool. Money is not the goal or ends. Money 100%. is a tool. So what are we using this tool for? Um, are we making sure to use it and what's super important to us, etc.? So we're working with the people on a lot of different levels, you know, on the technical, you know, how are you filing your paperwork to how are you managing your bank accounts to how are we talking about money together as a couple? Um, what are our goals? Are we spending our money on our goals? And we're going through all these different things or we've suddenly got money and we never had money. So how are we dealing with this? Do we see ourselves the same way? Do we see ourselves differently? Do we fit in or not fit in because we have more money? How do we see ourselves within what we have? And I deal with that whole array of different things. Um, do you find that when people like inherit a large amount of money or suddenly their business just took off and now they're very wealthy that they are spending more or that they're just being a little more reckless with their money? So I don't necessarily see that they're being reckless. Um, I think our personalities come out in extreme cases. So when we're extremely tight for money, you know, we might see our personality more shine through more and we've got a lot of money. The things we value, what we may spend more on. So yeah, when people inherit money, they may spend more. But a lot of time, the issue isn't that, oh, I can spend more. The issue they're dealing with is like, what if my friends know that I suddenly have a lot of money? Will they see me differently? Mm -hmm. Will they come to me and ask for money? Will I be the person in the neighborhood that everyone comes to? You know, what Do they does want it change that? how I see myself? It really depends on the person. Normally, people just want to be the same as they were and just not have the financial stress they may have had before. And what if somebody doesn't have a lot of money? Should they still come and see a financial advisor? Absolutely. A lot of it has to do with mindset, okay? Whether it's making money, making more money, especially for people that have a business. You know, I'll work with a lot of people that have a small business and they're thinking small, selling their hour or whatever. And a lot of times if we just think differently and look for bigger projects or do something that provides passive income or whatever it is, we could actually make more money. Um, so a lot of times, yes, the people that don't have a lot of money need this advice even more than the people that do have money. <laughs> so what do you say to the people who say like, well, it's just too expensive. I can't afford a financial advisor. Is it worth something to save for? How should we get to that goal of like making sure that we can appropriate this money for ourselves? Because it's, it seems like something that's really worthwhile it's one of these things that we have to prioritize, meaning we have to decide that this is important to us. If I'm in the same situation financially last year and the year before and this year, I'm clearly doing something financial that maybe if I were to sit with an advisor, I could change. And if I changed, I could improve my situation. And if you could see yourself as somebody who could potentially with the right advice, improve your situation, wouldn't that be worth spending money on today? Totally. Um, I agree. That's yeah. a great answer. It's true. It's the same thing with like what I do. If you can change your situation and get out of it, it's definitely worthwhile to get out of it, even if it, even if you have to save to get to it. Um, exactly. Yeah. What what documents should a person gather before meeting with a financial advisor so that they can make the most of their time when they work with you or somebody else? 
So what we try and do is tell people to gather an annual statement of any asset or debt that they have. So, you know, if they have some sort of pension fund, an annual statement, just so we know a balance. If they have loans, they should have a statement saying what the loan is. The last one, it could be the one before, it could be something printed from the computer today, it doesn't matter, but something that shows what you have left, what you're paying monthly, how much interest, if it's a loan, let's say, if it's a pension fund, you know, what the value is, what it may be expected to be. We want to have all the paperwork so that we can start from today's starting point, meaning add up all the assets, add up all the debts and see. Sorry, I'm going to interrupt you for one second. Can you, sure. can you just tell everybody what an asset is? I want to make sure that it's totally clear what, what falls under the category of assets. An asset is something financial that can potentially grow in value. Okay. Okay. A car is not an asset because it only goes down in value generally. Okay. A home is an asset because potentially your home can go up in value. Stock portfolio will be an asset. Um, pension will be an asset. These could be your financial assets. So we want any paperwork from anything you have like this. Um, it could be an option in a high-tech company or something that doesn't have value today, but potentially will have value in the future. And then we have against the assets, we have liabilities, which will be any debt, student loans, credit card debts, any one you owe money to. That would go against, we'll make a list of them both, but we need the paperwork to get started to see what people have. Um, we also look at, I mean, I know when I meet with people, I ask to see their bank account and credit card statements for the last three months. It gives me a sense of, you know, what their spending habits are like and where their money's going and what things look like. It's funny, so my friend Yael Trosh, she yeah. always says, uh, you can always tell what kind of person somebody is by how they spend their money. And I think that's so true. Like what, what their values are, you can see by, by what's going out every month or, yeah, you know, absolutely. it's definitely, I think a, a really good way to categorize someone. Um, what does your storage system look like and what do you advise <laughs> others to do with it? I mean, we're talking about organization. This is journey to organization. So I want to know, like, do you, is, are your documents in order? What do you look like? What do you advise your clients to, how do you advise your clients to order your, their documents? Do you have a preferred uh, storage system method? <laughs> okay. Um, that's a great question. Um, so I'd love to say that everything is perfectly organized at my house and incredible and whatever, but the honest truth is that it's not always a hundred percent organized. Um, what I tend to do, I mean, I have files. I still have a lot of things that get, I get physical papers for. Um, I would say maybe 60, 70% of my bills, I still get physical papers. And That's a lot. I'm I surprised to hear that. Yeah. Um, so I get the physical paper. It probably sits in a drawer for a month or two. And every couple of months I will file and I have short-term filing, long-term filing, um, and a different file for, you know, other financial things that are not, that don't fit into either of those. Okay. So short term would be my bills, you know, my electric bill, which, which I use as a business expense and my accountant prefers a physical paper, which is actually why I get the physical paper. Uh -huh. okay. um, I know you're, you're for no waste and no paper. So um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure this is hurting you even hearing this. No, no. Um, everybody goes at their own pace. My accountant doesn't have a problem with it. So it's fine. 
um, but it works for me to do my, you know, to do my accounting also with a piece of paper. It just, it just works for me. So um, after the two months or whatever that the papers have sat around, I like take an hour or two and be like, okay, I'm filing. So I have like a file with all the ongoing bills, the water, the electric, the phone bills, etc. Um, and that's a rotating file, meaning after a year or two, I'll be throwing out those uh, bills, like the older bills and just keeping, okay. you know, a year back or something. Okay. And then I have the longer term file which are things that the government here may request us to keep for about seven years for tax purposes that would be like you know the end of the year bank statements or the annual statements from any assets any you know stock portfolios or my mortgage or oh, that's obviously not a asset the mortgage um, or um, anything but you need I to keep own. that document yeah, exactly. You need to keep that document. Yeah. The house itself is an asset, in my opinion, but uh, the mortgage itself is not. Um, so I'll keep, like, mostly things fit into one of those two folders, the long term, the short term. Got it. Um, it's funny because a lot of people ask me about, you know, the Marie Kondo method, which is when you're decluttering, does this uh, item bring you joy? And I always say to people, like, I think that that's a silly question to ask because, like your mortgage papers, do they bring you joy? Not really, but like you can't get rid of them. <laughs> you can't just throw them away and be like, sorry, I don't have them anymore. Like when the bank comes knocking at your door. So um, I definitely think you definitely need to keep those papers. Um, actually, Rivka and I made a infographic cheat sheet um, on how long you should keep things in Israel. And I'll put it in a link in the show notes, um, or you could drop me an email and I can uh, email it to you. I also have one for the US for people who are interested, so you can also request that one. Um, Rivka, I wanna know, what's the best way to organize money and how can you set up a budget? Uh, wow, okay, those are, those are big questions. Um, so first are they not the wait. same? Do you think that they're different? Yeah, they're, they're two sort of different questions. Okay. Um, so I'll answer one and sort of get to the other. Okay. Um, how to organize money. So first of all, I need to know, I need to have clarity before we even start organizing or budgeting. We need to have clarity on what we want. What do we want? What do we want to do? Like, do we earn X amount of money and we can spend all of that? Is that okay? Or are there certain things we're saving up for? Are there certain things we're planning? Do we have enough for retirement? Like, so before we even start budgeting or organizing, we ask ourselves some core questions about what our goals are, what we value, what we want to spend on. For example, I have kids. I want to make sure that, you know, when they get married, I have enough money that when they say I'm getting married, I'm not like, ah, uh, I can't afford a wedding, you know? <laughs> so, so that's something that is my goal to make sure whatever that wedding is, it doesn't matter if I'm spending a lot of money or a little money on it. It it's a value I have that I want to help my kids. And therefore that's going to go down on my bigger question plan of like, what, where's my money going? How am I organizing it? I want to organize it in a way that I have what I need when it, so I can reach those goals. So the central question is goals, ideals, values, like what are all of them? Once I have them in place, I can say, okay, now I'm organizing my money. Some okay. things are organized for us, okay? Um, whether you're in Israel and you've got, you know, Israeli pension funds or in the U.S. or wherever you are and your IRAs or 401ks or whatever you have, those are sort of organized because they're earmarked. And earmarking is a great way to organize things. 
times. Okay. So if I'm saying that I have a simcha in a few years, um, I'm going to, you know, start planning for that. I'm going to earmark. So maybe I'm putting into a mutual fund every month for my kids' weddings. I know that I want to um, save just so I have an emergency fund, let's say. That's always like the first thing we advise people to have. So I will start earmarking that. So oh, when we're looking at the overall... Let Sorry, me ask yeah. you, how much yeah. money should be in an emergency fund? Three months, six months, 10 months? Okay, so the numbers that sort of float around are three to six months. Um, I've actually been wanting to- That's operating charter. expenses, right? That's like how yeah. much money you need in total to last you for three months, right? Correct. Okay. So I've actually been wanting to do some sort of flow chart on this, which is basically, um, yes, three to six months are the guidelines. But if you actually want to know what makes sense for you, there are a number of questions we ask. One is, are there one or two people working in your household? If there are two people working in possibly different industries, um, we're likely to need less. Um, are you in a job where you've got tenure and you're never going to be fired, basically? You mm -hmm. also need less. Are you in a high-risky re job? You're the only um, provider for your household. Then I'm going to want you to go for six months. Okay. It also depends if you're 20 or if you're 65 or 60. You know, pre-retirement when people are fired from a job, it's much harder sometimes to find a job. Mm -hmm. um, or if somebody's got 10 kids, they obviously have a lot more, you know, need to provide for people than if they're 25 and just got married, in which case, okay, if you don't have three months of emergency fund, it's okay if you only have one month and you can both work, you know? Right. So it does depend, but yes, the guideline is three to six months, just depending if we're one breadwinner or two breadwinners and how risky the industry is that you're in. And, um, you know, those are the different factors we take into account. Okay, great. So what's the best way to set up a budget so that we can make sure that we get all of our needs for the month, but still are able to put aside money for larger purchases that we may be saving for? Like, how do we, how do you prioritize your spending? So I think it comes down to a question of being totally, totally realistic and very honest with yourself about what your real needs are. Like if I know, if I, if I ask people, let's say when I meet them and I'm like, okay, I see your, I don't know, I'll give an example. You're buying coffee every day and it's costing, you know, $300 shekels. It doesn't matter what currency per month, but you're not saving for your bar mitzvah what do you prefer? Like, do you want to get to the bar mitzvah and be like, well, I could have saved $3,000 a year if I'd skipped the coffee or do, you know, what is more important or would I have preferred to save for the bar mitzvah? So when we're making a budget, we're asking those questions. Those are not questions that are easy to ask every day when I'm running home from work and I need that coffee. But when we're asking them on sort of sitting calmly and making some sort of money plan, we can really ask ourselves what is really important and the things that are super important have to go in first and my second tip for making the budget work and these things work is to automate so we put them okay. in first and we automate meaning if it's super important for me for example to save something for my kids future I am going to automate it the day after I take my salary. Now, I'm self-employed, so I'm going to automate a salary for myself from my business account to my personal account. Okay. And then automate from my personal account the day after the salary comes in, I'm going to automate a savings for whatever it is. So the then, money gets directly deposited from your personal account into a savings account for whatever 
you're saving. Yeah, saving, investment, whatever it is, it's going automatically. So it happens. If I wait till the end of the month to see if I have money left, I probably won't. I possibly won't. Because we all fit our spending in normally to what we have mm -hmm. or a little bit above. Um, so that's one thing. The second thing is we have to make sure we're actually earning enough. Sometimes people will call me and they're like, okay, by the time I've paid my rent and my electric and my water and my, my kids' tuition, there's nothing left. <laughs> okay, we're not even spending on anything else. And that really, right. really is an issue. And then we're asking other questions like, you know, can we earn more? What can we do to earn more? Can we cut any of these expenses? I know they're fixed expenses, but are you renting a home that you could afford? Maybe you should be renting something else. Are you, do you know, what I mean, could we spread the mortgage out longer? There are different questions we can ask when people are saying it's not working. Okay. But assuming you have enough money to make it work, then make the things that are important to you happen first. So that you know you know they're set in place okay so that answers my next question which is how can we eliminate excess spending and you know we I think when we're planning and looking at what our goals are it's a lot easier to say like you know I don't really need that but do you have any other tips um, first of all, the definition of excess spending is very different for different people. <laughs> that is uh, true. That's true. <laughs> I'll get phone calls sometimes where somebody's like, you know, my spouse, whether it's the wife or the husband, is just, you know, there's a lot of excess excess spending happening with them. And you're like, well, you know, they need this, they need that. So it really is, you know, not a definitive term. But in the case that you feel you've got excess spending, my tip is know yourself, know what you need. Meaning if you're the type of person that, yeah, you do need to pop in here and there and buy a little something or whatever, put that in your budget. Just limit it to something you feel is reasonable. Okay. That's a good if idea. You totally eliminate it. You might end up miserable and not keeping to your budget at all. We want you to keep to your budget because we want you to save up for these other things you need in life or decided that were important for you. So take whatever it is, whether it's 100, 200, once again, dollars, shekels, the currency doesn't matter. And say each of you, you and your spouse, if you're married, both have X amount that you could spend on what we'll call these extra things. No questions asked. And that keeps us happy. But as long as we've limited them, it's very possible you were spending 10 times that before you make a budget. When husbands and wives or partners sit down with each other and have these conversations about money, what are some questions that they should ask each other so they can have a productive conversation? So this brings us to this course that I'm working on. I'm doing this online course um, for couples who are starting out together because I'm meeting people, you know, they're married 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, and like, we never really sat down and had a money conversation and they're okay. married for many years. So I think first of all, just having a money conversation is a great step and good to have. Okay. I mean, the questions we're asking go back to the same core questions we asked before we plan and budget. Like what are we looking for? What do we want to be spending our money on? What is important to us? And the answers don't need to be the same for a husband and wife, mm -hmm. but we need them down. We need to know what's important and then we can make a plan within what's important for everyone to get to those goals. Okay. And how frequently should partners be having these conversations with each other? Should so it be just I think like as triage or is it like, uh, should you have like a money date once a month where you just sit down and talk about where you're at financially? So I go by what works for people really. Okay. 
Um, but that said, in my course, I'm going to be advising people to sit about once a month and just go over things and just have that space to be like, okay, if there's anything money to talk about, then this is our time and this is our space. Okay. Um, so yeah, once a month generally is good for like, you know, updates, check your within your budget, check you got all the emails of your bills or the physical bills, whatever it is, and just make sure you're on track. And once a year to have like a bigger financial overview, you know, are we reaching our goals? Did we move forward? What's happening? Okay. Do you have like a checklist that you put out anywhere or anything like that where people can, you know, just check off things that they should be bringing to these meetings with each other? Uh, yeah, I have a checklist of just different things that, um, you know, bank account or whatever that all and the different part things of your class. Yes. Oh, excellent. And I know um, that you also wrote a book. Do you want to tell us about your book? Smarter Israeli Banking. I haven't read uh, it yet. Full disclosure, but I would love to read it. Um, but tell us about it. I heard yes. that it's amazing. I just read today that um, somebody sponsored to give it to all the new Olim who are coming this summer to Israel. Is that true? That is very exciting. Yes. That's um, super someone, exciting. Someone uh, said to me, uh, this is a client of mine actually, said to me, you know, every Ole should get your book. And uh, he went and helped me pull together a few people who believed the same, that the book is so important for Olim because banking in Israel is so frustrating for so many people unless they understand it, which can take a lot of mistakes on the way. Um, so this book saves people money, helps them avoid mistakes, etc. And this guy was just like, you know, every Oles should have it and uh, really put his money where his mouth was. We found a few other people to pitch in. We got uh, books donated. Nefesh Benefesh kindly said that they'd give them to the New Olim when they arrive this summer. And the first That's thousand awesome. Olim over the summer will be getting a free gift of this Starting book. when? I think immediately. I think oh, the next flight awesome. already. Like this, they already, they left my house. They're at the Nefesh Benefesh offices. And uh, I'm pretty sure the next flight already will be getting them. And for the people who aren't making Aliyah, where can they buy your book? <laughs> Won't get it for free. <laughs> <laughs> they won't get it for free. Though I'm thinking about, you know, maybe a fundraise for 2019 for the gift yeah, for yeah. next year. Um, but in the meantime, it's available on Amazon. It's available on Kindle. It's available at various bookshops around Israel. Um, and from my website, RivkaLibowitz.com. Um, okay. Let's just spell there. Rivka because there's so many varieties of ways to spell it. So Rivka spells it R-I-F-K-A-L-E-B-O-W-I-T-Z in case anybody is interested in going to her website and it's getting her book. The name is with an F and I told this to somebody who was, uh, you know, doing my logo. I'm like, spell it with an F because, you know, that's how my parents spelt it. And she's like, oh, that's great. F for finance. You're a finance lady. I'm going to remember that. So <laughs> anyone's great. listening, you'll remember F for finance. That's amazing. That's true. Totally. Rivka, I want to know one last thing. What are your best tips for paying down debts? How can, what's a great way to pay down a debt? So we're, when we're going to pay down debts, we want to make a list of the debts we have. We're going to 
put next to the list of each debt, assuming we have a number of debts, the percentage of interest we pay. Now, there's two philosophies on how to take this. One is let's get pay off the smaller debts first and just get rid of them and feel good that we're on the path to success. Okay. Um, and that, that's a great way to do it. The other is to combine them potentially. Um, to try and combine all debts if possible at the lowest rate and then have one debt that we're paying off. If we can't combine them, then pay off the one with the highest interest rate first because that will cost you overall the least amount of money. Even if However, it's not the smallest amount. Exactly. Okay. However, if you're the type that knows that you're going to, you know, you're going to get fed up and paying it off and oh, and it's so hard and every month, or whatever, then pay off the smallest debt first because you'll feel the success. And as you pay off your debts, you'll feel more and more successful. Okay. Those are good tips. Is there anything that you feel like we didn't cover that you just, you know, want to touch on or think we should know? Um, I think that, I guess just a message that I'll send out to everyone, the golden rule for finance, for being financially organized, etc., is spend less than you earn. And if you're financially disorganized and you feel you're not moving forward or whatever, get help, get advice, move forward. Don't be in the same situation next year. That's my advice. That's great advice. Okay. Rifka's new course, Marriage and Money is Starting Out Financially Smarter, is due to be launched at the end of the summer 2018. Rifka, can you just tell us the perfect candidates for this course? Is it? Uh, sure. Not me, so the course... who's been married for 16 years. It's just <laughs> newly, newly engaged, newly married. Yeah, the course is for couples, newly engaged, newly married, um, young or old. Um, starting out this finan their financial life together. And the idea of the course is to help them talk about money, guide them towards opening up about goals and debts and just being able to be on the same page financially and make these plans and, um, you know, create a budget together that takes both of them into account and their goals into account. And it gives all these incredible tips for people so they can really start their life out on the same foot financially. So I think that this could be like a great uh, wedding present for people, you know, because even though we need physical stuff sometimes when we're starting out, I feel like this could be a really great gift. Could people buy a gift certificate for it for somebody else? Absolutely. That's, that's you know, one of the things I thought about when I first did it. I was like, this is the ideal wedding gift because it's the sort of gift that you, that keeps on giving, you know, right. the knowledge is there. Plus there's for no the, clutter. <laughs> there's no clutter. There are no <laughs> physical objects there. It's just, right. it just keeps on giving through life. And it's a course they can take at their own speed. So, you know, if they want to take it over the first year they're married, great. And if they want to do it intensely over a few weeks, also great. You know, it's there for the couple. That's amazing. So if you want to learn more about the class, and I will post um, in the notes, it's head to living-financially-smarter.thinkific, T-H-I-N-K-I-F-I-C.com forward slash courses, forward slash starting dash out dash financially dash smarter. And if you want to learn more about Rifka's book, Smarter Israeli Banking, you can head to rifkalibowitz.com forward slash smarter dash Israeli dash banking. Um, Rifka and I also made a infographic, like I mentioned earlier, you can email me, Rebecca, R-E-B-E-K-A-H at rebeccasaltzman.com. And I can um, 
email that to you if you don't have access to the internet, or you can head to rebeccasaltzman.com forward slash LFS, like living financially smarter, um, just, but just the letters LFS. And um, you can also join the email list while you're there so that you can be updated on more uh, events and things that are happening with me. Um, Rivka, I want to thank you so, so much for being with us today. Um, it was great and I learned so much and um, I hope that uh, when you're ready to, you know, tell us more about uh, finance, you'll definitely come back and give us more of this great information. Thank you, Rebecca, for hosting me. You're amazing. And you. um, I hope your followers enjoyed this. <laughs> I think everybody will have enjoyed this. Thanks again to our guest, Rivka Leibowitz, for sharing so much great and valuable information with us today. Rivka has graciously agreed to give all of the listeners of Journey to Organization a coupon code for 50% off of her course, Living Financially Smarter. That's 300 checkouts off. It's an amazing code and it's also a great gift or it's perfect for you if you're just starting out. Use the code STARTOUTSMARTER, all one word, all in caps, and you can register at living-financially-smarter.com thinkific.com. That's T-H-I-N-K-I-F-I-C.com. Please feel free to mention to Rivka that you heard about the course on Journey to Organization. Thank you so much for listening today. And please let me know if you enjoyed this week's episode. If you did, please rate it and subscribe. If you feel like you need help organizing your money, please reach out to Rivka at RivkaLibowitz.com. And if you feel like you need help organizing your clutter, then let me know. Or you can head to RebeccaSaltzman.com. That's R-E-B-E-K-A-H-S-A-L-T-Z-M-A-N.com. Sign up for the waitlist for Conquer Your Clutter, which is starting again October 7th. I hope that everybody has a great and happy and organized week. And just remember, Hashem is keeping you organized. Thanks for listening to the Journey to Organization podcast. You can find Rebecca on Twitter and Instagram at BalaGonBegon and on Pinterest as Rebecca Saltzman. Visit BalaGonBegon.com for resources and to join the mailing list to get podcast updates.